From Heterodox Academy, I'm Zach Rausch. Today, one perspective on a highly contentious topic, critical race theory. The blog we're going to discuss is on the role and meaning of critical theory in the K-12 classroom, as well as its relationship to viewpoint diversity. The piece is co-authored by Sam Merrick, an independent school social studies teacher, and Samantha Hedges, a scholar in the politics of education. I just wonder, has this been thought through? Are you really thinking through what are the implications of telling kids that society is split into oppressors and oppressed and there are power dynamics that we always should be hypervigilant to? We'll have an in-depth conversation later in this episode, but first, their blog, Critical Theory or Common Humanity, the case for a liberal approach to social studies education. The narrator is Stina Nielsen. Critical theory is increasingly shaping what American schoolchildren are learning in school, from kindergarten through high school. Social studies education is no exception. Members of the National Council for the Social Studies NCSS, the largest professional association in the country devoted solely to social studies education, have argued that critical theory as an approach to social justice be embedded in the curriculum and practice standards put forth by the association. The theme of the National Council for Social Studies 2020 virtual conference, which took place in December, was advancing social justice. Many scholars who call their practices critical aim to advance their research to significantly change socio-political cultural orders. They believe knowledge is innately embedded in relations of power and social organization, and that these relations cannot be understood through empirical research. Some critical theorists, such as Habermas, encourage dialogue and mutual understanding. But critical race theory, popularized today through social and news media, focuses on issues of power and systemic racism that too easily translate to blaming and shaming individuals. Take the concept of whiteness, for example. Whiteness is understood by critical race theorists to be a central belief system of white supremacy, in which white people are socialized into radicalized roles in which they perpetuate white norms of speech, acts, beliefs, and practices that reinforce whiteness. Whiteness is one of the more pernicious outputs of critical theory because it sets up a dichotomy of good and bad based on skin color, advertently or inadvertently, which has been embedded in training for schools. Ryan Crowley, assistant professor of social studies education, and LeGarrette King, associate professor of social studies education, describe critical theory as it applied to social studies education as a radical social justice-oriented philosophy. The use of the term critical, according to Crowley and King, is distinct from the broader educational goal of encouraging critical thinking. They explain... Although critical thinking is a crucial skill, our use of critical refers specifically to the use of critical theory and asserts that social studies should be a natural home for critical theory and critical pedagogy. 
for the past few decades, critical theory has expanded into nearly every aspect of social studies education, with little to no assessment of its accuracy to describe history, civics, culture, or economics, nor its efficacy in the solutions it offers to societal problems. And there is growing concern among academics that the lack of political diversity in fields of university study like education affects academic rigor and the application of scholarship to the real world, including schools. Focusing on viewpoint diversity rather than a winner-versus-loser dichotomy is one solution. Christopher Fryman, a philosopher, argues that viewpoint diversity can help produce novel solutions to problems, counteract confirmation bias, and expand the range of topics that researchers consider. However, the application of critical theory to social studies education goes largely unchecked. Jonathan Haidt, a social psychologist, raises important challenges to the critical theory approach to teaching. He argues that critical theory promotes a common enemy mindset that replaces the long-standing liberal tradition in education that we share a common humanity. For height, diversity and recognition of one's identity is valuable. But, he notes, when you take young human beings whose minds evolved for tribal warfare and us-them thinking, and you fill those minds full of binary dimensions— you tell them that one side in each binary is good and the other is bad. You turn on their ancient tribal circuits, preparing them for battle. Many students find it thrilling. It floods them with a sense of meaning and purpose. The radical social justice-oriented philosophy of critical theory, which includes the stated goals of replacing liberal traditions in K-12 schools with an illiberal activist agenda to remake society, is in opposition to the common humanity goals of education. The premise of critical race theory is that society can be divided into two groups, the oppressed and the oppressors, or the privileged and the marginalized, which ignites tribal us-versus-them thinking. This mindset is not conducive to learning how to live in and contribute to society. What's more, modern critical theory advocates believe that culture needs to be emancipated from liberal values, such as the notion of individuality, to understand the binary power struggles that exist in our culture and society. Therefore, the goal of education, according to critical theory, is to help each child recognize their own identity, determine their status as either privileged or marginalized, and then commit to a plan of action to correct this injustice. Teacher advocates of critical theory take seriously this perspective to craft lessons that emphasize social action. Identity is categorized primarily by race, ethnicity, and gender. And the C3, College, Career, and Civic Life for Social Studies State Standards Framework, which is the curriculum standard for the NCSS, recommends concluding each lesson with taking informed action activities that, according to Crowley and King, push students to take tangible steps toward alleviating the injustice explored in the inquiry. Critical theory educators also challenge the institutions that were at the center of traditional social studies curriculums, 
like the American legal and economic system, as being part of master narratives that promote the worldviews of those in power in society. According to Crowley and King, master narratives shape belief systems and act to marginalize those in society who do not come from white, male, middle-class, heterosexual, able-bodied, Christian, and other dominant identity group backgrounds. Anthony Brown, Kefralyn Brown, and Angela Ward employ a critical race theory perspective to advocate addressing the problem of master narratives through a revisionist approach to history, which asks students to rethink the power dynamics of the past in light of the present to deconstruct common historical narratives. Legarrett King, Amanda Vickery, and Genevieve Caffrey utilize critical race theory to argue that white people and white norms control access to social, cultural, and economic resources and decision-making, and advocate racial literacy to deconstruct these race and power dynamics. The alternative approach to critical theory, the common humanity approach, is incompatible with at least some of the tenets of critical theory, and yet it equips young students with critical thinking skills. According to Seep Sturman in his book, The Invention of Humanity, the common humanity approach is concerned with equality across differences. The ideal common humanity lens is to recognize that humans are unequivocally equal. But if nothing else, one needs to acknowledge obvious differences while accepting the importance of less obvious similarities. The acknowledgement of group-based differences facilitates a common humanity by opening opportunities for groups to share a goal and form relationships, for example. In social studies education, the fault line between the two approaches is the idea of justice. Critical theory and its various social studies incarnations rest on the idea that justice is only achieved by distributing resources, even if disproportionately, to achieve equal outcomes across groups. Distributive justice is limited and artificially creates a zero-sum dynamic of winners and losers in perpetual conflict for resources and status. The common humanity view maintains that justice is best achieved through procedural justice. This form of justice is built on the idea that there needs to be fairness in processes, not necessarily an equal outcome that resolve disputes and allocate resources. Procedural justice is based on the principles of fairness in processes, transparency in actions, opportunities, and impartiality in decision-making. Political polarization, the vast and growing gap between liberals and conservatives, Republicans and Democrats, is, according to the Pew Research Center, a defining feature of American politics. These divides are likely to be compounded within schools and society more generally by critical theory educators who insist there must be a focus on identifying unequal power relationships in society through social studies education, coupled with the goal of transforming those unjust social relations. If the goal of education is to develop critical thinking skills, there is a clear choice between a critical theory approach 
and a common humanity approach. Critical theory promotes an orthodoxy based on the ideas of winners and losers, oppressors and the oppressed, one group against another, and ultimately, the good and the bad. The heterodox option of a common humanity is based on mutual understanding and working across differences to achieve common goals. This question about the future of social studies education is not a left or right issue. It's a question of how to best equip children to participate in a democratic society as adults. Understanding society through the lens of a common humanity is better suited than critical theory to meet this goal. Stina Nielsen narrating the blog Critical Theory or Common Humanity. Co-author Samantha Hedges is with us now. The blog was published in February of last year before Samantha joined our full-time staff. The opinions expressed were those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the views of Heterodox Academy. So there has been an enormous amount of discussion about critical theory in education, especially over the past year. Why did you choose to enter the discussion and write your piece? Sure. Uh, so first, I just want to acknowledge that it's co-authored. So the other author, Sam Merrick, he is a high school social studies teacher. Um, so him and I collaborated um, because of our mutual concern about um, the application of critical race theory in particular in K-12 education. But he, as the social studies teacher, had more that side of it to say about the issue. So that's why we focus specifically on social studies education. I don't have an issue with critical race theory or critical theory being used as a lens to conduct research. It's more how it's being implemented in the classroom. And I would say that that's not totally the fault of the critical theorist. It's more a translation, you know, how people interpret it and then bring it in. So the idea that society is split into the oppressors and oppressed and that, you know, there are power dynamics at play in every aspect of society, which is a prominent theme in critical theory. When you bring that into a classroom of kids in a diverse society um, and not just, you know, racially, ethnically diverse, but diverse in a lot of different ways. So when you bring kids together and then you're telling them that some of them are oppressed and some of them are oppressors by virtue of characteristics that they cannot control. It just does not set up um, a healthy learning environment. Despite all the, the flaws that you really drive home in the article, why, why do you think that it has become so entrenched in, in schools? Um, I mean, I would say... This is what I suspect, because I currently don't work um, in a K-12 environment, but I suspect that it's prevalence in schools of education um, is how it, gets, it got picked up. There was probably more than half of my fellow PhD students use some sort of critical theory lens. And their, you know, PhD students are often the ones teaching undergrads. So they're teaching the pre-service teachers who will enter the classroom. And so it's just, it's ubiquitous in a lot of ways in some classes, especially um, 
uh, courses that undergrads have to take around diversity in society. So those classes usually focus on racial and ethnic diversity, sometimes socioeconomic. Um, and if the faculty or PhD students who are teaching those pre-service teachers, then they're likely also teaching through that lens because there is critical pedagogy is also a line of critical theory, like how you um, teach in a critical theory way. I suspect that now someone like Robin D'Angelo and Ibram X. Kendi might not say that they're critical theorists, but their work kind of maps on to it in certain aspects and the popularity of their books because they're easy to digest, um, I think was part of it as well. And so when George, the George Floyd incident happened and schools felt like they had to do something, just like companies, whatever was easiest to grab onto is what they grabbed onto. What's available is what's going to get picked up and what's easily translatable is more likely to get picked up. And those books were easy to understand compared to other research that has been done on race issues in society. Just uh, the past few months, there have been a lot of legislation across the U.S. attempting to, to ban critical race theory in a lot of schools. Um, is that a good thing? And how would you approach trying to incorporate the common humanity approach in schools? Yeah, I don't think banning is a good thing, um, especially from the perspective of teaching it as critical race theory as a perspective, just like any other perspective that you can take. I think really what um, teachers are concerned about is more the pedagogy, so how it's taught, um, so how someone approaches these issues with their students. And so, you know, they worry about disparaging labels being placed on, for example, their white male students. I'm not one for banning a perspective because then that can be applied across the board. And I just don't think, you know, schools shouldn't be in the business of doing that. They should be in the business of teaching all of the different perspectives that are in society. I think the focus should shift to the common humanity, which is a more empowering method of teaching because it basically says that, yes, there are differences. And then how do we capitalize on those differences as well as what we have in common to achieve mutual understanding and to solve problems. And so when you're dividing a class into oppressors and oppressed, it's harder to get at solutions to problems because then you haven't united people to come together. And so we're not, we're not working together then. And that's something that schools should be encouraging, not discouraging. What, what is your bottom line? What do you want to make sure our audience would take away from your work and your blog and you and Sam Merrick? I just wonder, has this been thought through? Are you really thinking through what are the implications of telling kids that society is split into oppressors and oppressed and there are power dynamics just embedded that we always should be hypervigilant to? Like, they may grow up to figure that out themselves, but and they may ask questions in a class. But to tell them to teach it or to approach it as a pedagogical method, I just think teachers know that their students are unique individuals, and you know they have needs, and they all need to work together, and we want a good school culture. And so, 
I just don't think this is the best route to do that. And a common humanity is better focusing on what we share, not what separates us. I write stuff like this because I want people to really think through the implications. Samantha hedges with her personal view on critical theory in K-12 education. This is Heterodox Out Loud. If you enjoy our podcast, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, and please leave us a review. The folks at Davies Content produce this show. I'm Zach Rausch. Thanks for tuning in.